The soul selects her own society, then shuts the door to her divine majority, present no more. Unmoved, she notes the chariots pausing at her low gate. Unmoved, an emperor be kneeling upon her mat. I've known her from an ample nation choose one, then close the valves of her attention like stone. Emily Dickinson Chapter 1 Attachment and Flight When we consider the soul of relationship, unexpected factors come into view. In its deepest nature, for example, the soul involves itself in the stuff of this world, both people and objects. It loves attachments of all kinds, to places, ideas, times, historical figures and periods, things, words, sounds, and settings. And if we're going to examine relationship in the soul, we have to take into account the wide range of its loves and inclinations. Yet even though the soul sinks luxuriantly into its attachments, something in it also moves in a different direction. Something valid and necessary takes flight when it senses deep attachment. And this flight also seems so deeply rooted as to be an honest expression of soul. Our ultimate goal is to find ways to embrace both attachment and resistance to attachment. And the only way to that reconciliation of opposites is to dig deeply into the nature of each. As with all matters of soul, it is in honoring its impulses that we find our way best into its mysteries. Attachment The soul manifests its innate tendency toward attachment in many ways. One way is a penchant for the past and a resistance to change. A particularly soulful person might turn down a good job offer, for example, because he doesn't want to move from his hometown. The soulfulness of this decision is fairly clear. Ties to friends, family, buildings, and a familiar landscape come from the heart. And honoring them may be more important for a soulful life than following exciting ideas and possibilities that are rooted in some other part of our nature. A radically attached person may lead a sedate life because he seldom likes to leave home. He may even decide not to buy an automobile for that very reason. Many writers and artists have exhibited this soulful orientation away from worldly activity. Emily Dickinson, for example, spent her entire mature life at her family's homestead in Amherst, Massachusetts. In a letter of 1851 to her brother Austin, she wrote, Home is a holy thing. Nothing of doubt or distrust can enter its blessed portals. Here seems indeed to be a bit of Eden which not the sin of any can utterly destroy. Samuel Beckett was notorious for his love of his sparse apartment and for his resistance to the world. 
All I want to do, he once said early in his career, is sit on my ass and fart and think of Dante. C.G. Jung said that the soul itself is fundamentally oriented toward life. The soul, he said, is the archetype of life. While the search for meaning or the quest for higher consciousness has some other root, the soul finds its home in the ordinary details of everyday life and doesn't in itself have an urgent need for understanding or achievement. James Hillman, Jung's unorthodox follower, picks up on Jung's distinction between soul and spirit, saying that soul resides in the valleys of life and not on the peaks of intellectual, spiritual, or technological efforts. In his essay on this theme, Peaks and Veils, Hillman writes that the soul is the psyche's actual life, including the present mess it is in, its discontent, dishonesties, and thrilling illusions. <laughs>